G'day guys and welcome back to the Venture Beyond podcast. This is episode five, an exciting one for us because we got an opportunity to bring our father, who's the founder and CEO, Ben Chairman, and all these other things of Perfection Fresh Australia, which is the brand in Australia that brings you broccolini, the original grape tomato, cukes, baby cucumbers, and more. And he shares some experiences specifically about broccolini, the challenges, the trials and tribulations, and then ultimately the big success that it became and what to learn from that experience. G'day, James. Hello, hello. And Michael. Hi. Otherwise known as Dad. Yeah, hi, Anthony. (laughs) Hey, Dad. Could you just kick it off by telling us a little bit about the business, where it came from, um, and how we are here today talking about broccolini? Perfection Fresh was started by my father in 1978. It was a wholesaler in the Sydney markets and we still are a wholesaler in the Sydney markets today as well as being wholesalers in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Perth and soon to be Adelaide. But we our business changed in the in in the early to mid 90s to a fully integrated business model of production, sales and marketing and also uh, processing of fresh fruit and vegetables. Um, and we started in the late 90s introducing a very important strategic change to the business in that we move, we started to move away a little bit from the traditional wholesale model to being a licensed uh, grower, marketer of proprietary, what we call proprietary products. And that's been a great success for us over the course of the last 23 years. Uh, Broccolini was our first um, foray into the launch of proprietary genetics in Australia. We launched in July of 1999. It's now our signature product, uh, f- but it's also now been joined by some other very, very well-known products like the Calypso Mango, the Cukes Baby Cucumbers, the Mixamato Medley Tomatoes, Midnight Beauty Grapes, and a whole bunch of other products that, uh, that have joined the proprietary product stable. It's an awesome story and every time somebody meets me or we start talking about the family and that we've been in business, broccolini is without a doubt the standout product that shocks everybody. It, it, it's, like, it's almost like they can't believe that someone brought it to the country, um, was responsible for planting it, growing it, making a market, building that out um, and they're also shocked that, it's, that, that we've got any connection to it, James and I. It's one of those, one of those incredible stories that I think is what has inspired us to be entrepreneurs, to be perfectly honest. And I think it's also really great that it aligns directly with what we're trying to do with Venture Beyond because it feels to me that it's a pure story of creating what we would consider an MVP today, minimum viable product, getting it into a market, building out that market by, you know, by doing all the things that you've done to create awareness, to educate, because you really had to educate it, uh, people about it. It's such a new product in the market. Can you give us a, a little bit more of that that early origin phase story? That you know, how did you discover it? What were some of the steps you took to actually bring it to the country, and, and what were some of the challenges? How did I discover it? Uh, I first read about it in a uh, a global a global newspaper because there was no digital media back in the mid mid nineties. Uh, read about it that it was launched in in the United States. I then went to the United States because I was, I was intrigued by this article that I read. So I went to the United States and 
found broccolini growing in the Salinas Valley in California. The Salinas Valley is the vegetable bowl of the world and uh, it was uh, a great experience to visit there. Saw broccolini, visited with the company that had the license for the United States. They introduced me to the uh, the breeder, the genetics breeder, the, the which is a company based in Japan. So I then went to Japan, met met with those uh, with that company, established have established a great relationship with them over the course of the last twenty five years, and we licensed it for Australia, and we launched here in Australia in um, July of nineteen ninety nine, uh, and then uh, we've also now licensed it. We're producing and selling it, producing it under license. Growers are producing it under license for us in New Zealand and we're selling in New Zealand. And about four years ago, we, we were granted the license to, market, to produce and market broccolini in China. So we're now doing that as well. You mentioned at the start of that story, like something that I think is so awesome about entrepreneurial people, that entrepreneurial people just kind of skip by um, and just do without thinking it's that you saw an article in a magazine and then you decided to travel to the States off the back of it. Can you t- talk us through that thought process? Like, did you have something in place to say, you know, I've got a certain budget for traveling and research and development and exploration, or did you just see this thing, you got, got the gut feel and you went for it? Our business back in uh, the mid nineties was a very simple business and we had no budgets we just know. We just knew. My dad, your grandfather, taught me that if you sell for ten bucks, you've got to pay no more than nine bucks. Otherwise, you go out of business. And that was the business model. And uh, so we we tried to uh, to ensure that we always stayed profitable, whilst always ensuring that our growers stayed profitable. Because without our growers, we don't. Without our growers producing, we didn't have a business. So that was first and foremost. But. Um, but no, there was no, no business model, no budget. It was just a gut instinct that I read about this product and uh, thought, well, the brassica category needs a bit of a shake-up. Whilst I love broccoli, um, a lot of back in those days, even way back then, a lot of people used to tell me that uh, children didn't like broccoli. So I thought, well, you know, based on what I read about broccolini, it was sweeter, milder than broccoli and, I, and it was – 100% edible, you know, long, thin, uh, asparagus-like stalks, a, a little, a, a, you know, a floret, of a, 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 a loose floret that looked a little bit like broccoli at the top. And I thought, this has got some, this may have some potential. So that was what I was inspired by. What did people think of the decision? I can only, I can only imagine what... My dad thought I was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> think going to the United States, chasing a product like that to see just to see but um but you know he was always supportive he may have thought i was crazy but he was always supportive and uh and always said you know we've got to always was was um wanting to ensure that we you know that to stay profitable and stay viable we needed to stay ahead of the game and that was just one way of staying ahead of the game and uh it soon became obvious to me after traveling to the united states that the traditional wholesale model was changing really, really quickly over there and we needed to get on board in Australia and we wanted to lead, not follow. And I think to a degree that's what we've done. At that time, perfection wasn't in a great place, right? Financially? Financially. No, we'd, um, Dad had a partner when he started the business and um, 
Um, that's a whole other story, but uh, that led to some issues and our family took over the business in 1991 and took the, that partner out of the business and uh, basically um, stuck it out because we wanted to protect the integrity of our family name in the industry. And uh, whilst it would have been a lot easier to walk away, we stuck by and it took quite some time to to get ourselves out of those muddy waters, but uh, with a strong family commitment and work ethic, we were able to do it. It's amazing that you're able to still chase innovation in a, in a moment where, you know, you had that kind of weight on your shoulders. On our shoulders, it on, wasn't on just your me. Sh- yeah, on all of your shoulders, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it was, but, you know, that's that's what you do. That's what you've got to do. Did the story start to change when you, or sorry, the reaction, I should say, because you didn't stop traveling after you did broccolini, you no. you got it kind of caught the bug, right? Like yeah, absolutely. And and you and broccolini was failing. So at, at a certain point, you know, it was early uh, on. Wasn't I it? wouldn't say it was failing. I probably would say it was fledgling a little bit <laughs> okay. in those early years. But it's a bit touchy. Uh, it's a bit months. touchy about it. It was. Yeah, it's his baby. I wouldn't say it was failing. <laughs> but uh, soon after that, um, I was, uh, I think, in Holland, and I saw an odd-shaped tomato or a grape-shaped tomato. And back in those days, the, the tomato category, in, this is now 2000, the year 2000, I think, or 99 or 2000. Back in those days, the, the, the tomato category in Australia was made up of cherry tomatoes, round, large tomatoes, truss tomatoes on the vine, which back then were called hydroponic tomatoes, and normal Roma tomatoes. And so I saw this little grape-shaped tomato in Holland that just took my breath away. And I thought, wow, this is something that Australia needs. So uh, in 2001, we launched the grape tomato in Australia for the, for the first time. And that was just a phenomenal success in, in those – and still is. I mean, today we're still doing grape tomato, but it's not called grape tomato anymore. We do the Solonato tomatoes at Woolies. Um, and petites for the independent trade, and there's others now, other varieties. But but we brought the grape the the grape tomato to Australia as it was as it were in 2001. And when you started discovering these new products, at least my memory is a bit fo- foggy of it, but I do have memories. I'm surprised you're only seven years old. But I do remember some. <laughs> no, you were ten. You were seven. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember some conversations we had about it because I'm you know I was always interested in business but i think one of the things that still i still believe to be right about the company i don't know if this is true but at that time not not many there were no competitors doing this kind of thing were there there was nobody in this space of licensing growing new and marketing new genetics to australia we were absolutely the pioneer of that um in in those days you know and now there are obviously others but uh but uh, for the first, we started in 99 with Broccolini, as I said, for you know maybe 10 years, seven to 10 years at least, there was nobody um, doing it, with the exception of Costa, actually. They, they were, we were on the same journey as they were with the table grape, with table grapes. Yeah, yeah right. So, so they, they, we, we, were, we were one of, we were the two licensees for the Sun World Table Grape Breeding Program. So, mm. so they were on the same journey we were with, uh, with, with grapes. So I guess unpacking it, or at least, and maybe speaking out of school, but it seems to me, and if I apply it to some of the, the models that we use when we when we build strategies, is that you saw that you're in a space that you, that you knew well enough to know that there potentially is a gap in the market. 
um, you were operating a business that didn't necessarily have deep differentiators. Um, and maybe it wasn't necessarily a conscious decision, but what the outcome has been, it seems to me, is that you've created this incredible differentiator with, and you've created markets as well. I mean, the way I look at it is, is that broccolini is the Kleenex to the tissue and yep. broccolini is the, you know, its own category. And then it's, and it's led to lasting business growth, but you, you took that risk. You went and you went and did it in a way that was costly, but not too costly. You brought out new, new products and, and it's led to long-term growth. Yeah, it has. And one of the things that we, I guess, pride ourselves in, not only proud of the fact that we brought products like broccolini to Australia, but we've also grown the category. So broccoli is still growing. Mm. It's not as if we've decimated the broccoli market and the broccoli growers because that's not our intention. We want to grow the category. We want to, we want to, we want to ensure that, that consumers uh, are consuming uh, and, and using more fruits and vegetables. And that's, that's what drives us to grow the overall category, whether it's in the brassica category with broccolini or the tomato category with solanado and petite and other others. Uh, it's about growing categories, and uh, and we've done that successfully. Cukes is a great example. You know the the, the cucumber the cucumber category was you know stagnant at best mm. ten years ago, but now it's growing. All of the whole category is growing. Cukes is growing exponentially faster than the rest of the category, but the whole category is growing. If you were to give advice to an entrepreneur wanting to find their own broccolini. Are you able to summarize any of the, the, the key tips, ideas, or moments that, that happened in your personal experience that you think could really could help? Follow your gut. Follow your instinct. Um, and if you are to fail, fail fast. Don't fall in love with a bad idea. How much longer would you have needed to kill broccolini? Great question. Um, but uh, my dad said to me, I'll never forget, um, we were probably 12 months in, 10, 12 months in, and we'd paid for, because I kept a ledger, a written ledger, no computers in those days. Well, I certainly didn't have one. Um, uh, we'd, we'd paid, we'd dumped and paid for about $110,000 worth of product to that point. And my dad said to me, he said, you sure, you sure this is the right thing to do, that we should keep going? I said, yeah, Dad, I think, uh, I think, you know, I think we've turned the corner, right? And he said, okay, if that's what you think, that, that's fine, you know. And um, so you've just got to back your instinct. And, and there's, a point, there's a point where you have to draw the line, right? Um, how do you define that point? I don't know. I don't think it's written in any textbook. I certainly don't know the answer. Is it a week, a month, a year or 10? I don't know. But, you know, your, your instinct and your expertise – of your market, your industry and your market should help you determine that. Have you killed any? Heaps. Yeah, heaps. What was different apart from sales? Of the ones we killed? They just didn't resonate well enough with consumers at the end of the day. People liked, have liked every single one of those products that we've killed, but not enough people liked them. You've got to get a point to a point where it's got to be sustainable, profit, profitable and sustainable, right? So there's no point selling $100,000 worth of something because a small segment of the, of, the, of the consumer market likes it because it's just not viable. Yeah. And a poignant example, like a, one, of, one of these products that you've killed? 
One really recently that we've killed is the Bambino sweet pointed cabbage. Mm. I don't know if you you guys yeah, would yeah. have tried I it. Tried it, yeah. Beautiful product. Yeah, like, really nice. Beautiful product. Mm. But uh, but uh, enough people uh, like cabbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, that, yeah. But this is like everybody that I know that tasted it loved it. But no matter what we did, no matter how much we promoted it, it just oh. we just couldn't get it to sell. To, to reach that point where we thought, well, you know, this is something that, that's going, going to continue to grow. So we just decided in the end that uh, it was time to wave it goodbye. The re-education for cabbage is just like extremely challenging, right? I'm not surprised that it was, it was hard to convert people I wonder into though, cabbage eaters. I wonder though, wouldn't you have said the same thing for broccoli at a certain point? You know, the re-education for cabbage. Broccoli. To, to you know re-educate for broccolini you know like like I, I was just thinking as you said that story and and maybe it's offbeat but are you now with a stage in your business where sometimes you can't do things you know when you get to a certain scale scale you you make decisions in a very different frame of mind would that product with somebody else potentially a young entrepreneur maybe going into it now yeah, potentially absolutely. be different potentially you know a, a somebody out there that that's growing cabbage marketing cabbage you know whether it, as a as a as a main line because cabbage has not yeah. never been a main line for us. We mm. we we do sell some, we process some in our processing businesses, but it's never been a main line for us. But for those out there that that are you know invested more heavily in cabbage, let me say, yeah, they should be giving it a go because it is a great product. If you were a young entrepreneur wanting to enter the fruit and vegetable market, how would you do it? It's a great question, and I think. For a young entrepreneur today, it's a bigger challenge, right? Because um, there's a lot of really good, really well-established businesses that are doing in in most categories that are that are doing really really well and are dominant in those categories, right? So, but I think that if I was young today and wanted to enter our industry, I'd I'd look for a niche to start with you know a niche product a niche market um whether it be in a region or you know um to to grow in a region to uh to market it a little differently through the various different platforms that you that that are available today uh but that's how i'd start and from that niche establish yourself and build from there but um have you got an idea of one niche like one product one region this is very capital intensive, right? And and it would be difficult for a a, a, a an entrepreneur, a new entry into the market. But I think uh, I think the the biggest opportunity um, to assist uh, today's consumer to to help help them consume more fruit and vegetables for the benefit of their health and general well being, we need to make fruit and vegetables more readily available and more convenient in more outlets at more times of the day so we need to be able to consumers need to be able to to have access to fruit and vegetables at breakfast lunch and dinner but at every snacking opportunity in between and i think that's a real opportunity for our industry to move from you know only six percent today only six percent of the australian population consumes the recommended serves of five vegetables and Two, uh, and two and serves of two fruit a day so a serve is what you can easily describe by 
best described, I think, by what you can fit comfortably in your, in the palm of your hand, right? Uh, only 6% of us are consuming that today. So to, to raise that exponentially, we've got to make, make produce more available more often and in more locations, convenient locations. And, uh, and that requires an investment in, um, in capital through with processing equipment and so forth. Uh, and and that's, that's, that's expensive and also very risky. And that's certainly some, an area that we are really, it forms a big part of our strategy going forward. But, you know, we're, we're more resourced to be able to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so in terms of small and niche, you know, I, I can't think of one. And respectfully, I'm not thinking for something small and niche today. Yeah. It's just not who we are today. Yeah, fair enough. I just thought maybe there was some, there was some idea there. But I, I still think that that, that, that con- well, that, that insight being that six percent is a really interesting area that could be explored by any entrepreneur, and like you know, you look at businesses like Milk Run and what they've done for groceries, um, and potentially a fruit and vegetable. Are they profitable yet? I'm not sure. I doubt it. I doubt it thoroughly yeah. too. I don't think they're on their own. I don't know a lot about them. We supply them some product. I we we are supplying them, but I don't think that that model anywhere in the world. And there's many of them all around the world now. I don't think they're profitable yet. Yeah, the good right. ones will be. Mm. Yeah, for sure. But then there need there will be a culling of the number of operators. There, there, there has were. to be. Yeah, there already has been. Yeah. yeah. Well, as you know, we had a client that was doing it that no longer is in business. That? It was Send. Oh, they gone. Yeah. They, Send and Volley as well. Volley is Volley gone too. Volley's gone oh, in yeah. Australia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Send only last lasted. 10 months or something. Do you have anything anything else that you feel like you would, would be very strong pieces of advice for people to take away? Eat more fruit and vegetables. <laughs> That's not self-serving. <laughs> Look, I, I just think, you know, uh, I'm certainly no expert and I'm, I'm just I'm just really, I, I think I'm good at selling fruit and vegetables and, and not too much else. But um, I think you've just got to back, back, uh, back your instinct and... Uh, Research your markets, you know, because no matter how good you think something is, is uh, it may not resonate with, with consumers. So you've got to research the market um, and you've got to, uh, as I said, if, if, if you move to launching something, whether it's a new product or whatever it may be, if it's not, if, if it comes a point where, you know, you, where it's costing you a lot of money, you need to reassess, uh, reassess it and um, move on. You know, I, like I, I, you know, like I think I may have said it earlier. Just don't fall in love with it. If it's not making money, um, just get rid of it and move on to the next challenge because there are or, or next opportunity because there are many. I'm yeah. sure there is in our industry, and we just got to keep moving forward. We must have been listening to Dad as he's gone through this because our approach to the minimum viable products that we're building is is that we are being quite measured in the horizons that we're going to go through and at each horizon or part of the part of the state stages of the project we have essentially go and no go gates for us it's a case of building a lot of products that we think have genuine value product market fit you know seeing that gap in the market trying to find it but not being precious about it you know we love what we've done with wp native apps we really think sitewatch is cool I'm kind of enamored with Hustle Outbound. We haven't spoken about it yet, but we will soon. 
but all three of them will be killed if they're no good. Um, we, I think we've we've had an incredible benefit and privilege, not only by you being here today on our little podcast, but by having watched your your story, being being witness to the story. Because I, I'm our story, because it's not just all about me. I agree with you. I might be the CEO, but it takes a, a team to do what to to achieve what we've done. And it's annoying because I echo those words sometimes too. <laughs> so I'm I'm listening, but uh, it's um it's a great privilege because I clearly it clearly has come out in the things that I've said, the way that we've built the business, um, the way that we are continuing to build a business, and and sometimes just doing things that feel right in our guts, and not necessarily spending enough spending too much time doing too much analysis, doing enough that we know, okay, I feel valid in in where we're going now. Um, and following that instinct until it, it either comes to a win or a loss and moving forward after that. Okay, with all of that being said, uh, thank you very much for being here. Thanks for supporting us on our very early part of this journey for Venturing Beyond in terms of the podcast. I think it's been really, uh, it's been a really good discussion and I learned some things about your story even though I've been listening. So <laughs> um, thanks Bye, again. Guys. And thanks to all of you for watching and or listening. Please hit the subscribe button and followed by the bell for the next episode to come out. Mm -hmm.